0: Good morning and welcome to episode 145 of Life Song Radio. Hey, I'm Jimmy Hicks, and I thank you for being here and joining me this week. It is just me, um, and that wasn't by design originally. Uh, Got to be honest and transparent and open with uh, what's going on here this week. Um, what we're gonna do uh, is I'm going to play a. Uh, I'm gonna in just a minute. We're gonna get to. Uh, uh, a sermon that I preached here recently at Crossway Baptist Church. Uh, and and the reason that that is what the program is going to be today is not because we did not record a new program. Phil and I got together uh, Friday and did record a new episode and did have a new uh, program ready to go. But that's changed. And so I, I told Phil yesterday, uh, the best way to handle this is to be honest and open with you. I'm not going to just uh, blow smoke and give you an excuse. I want to I tell you the truth because... That's what we do this program for, is to is to study the Word of God and interpret the Word of God correctly and get biblical truth out to you. And sometimes stuff happens. And so last week, uh, we continue in our study through the book of Hebrews, and we wrapped up chapter 5 by studying verses 11 through 14, 11 through 14 in uh, Hebrews chapter 5. As we were recording last week, if you go back and listen to the program, you can hear a difference in opinion that Phil and I have on one, maybe two different things. Nothing too major, but it is a difference of opinion, and and, and I think even through the course of the program, I began to change my opinion and, and kind of line up with what Phil was saying because I was seeing some things in any way. What happened after the program was over with, after our recording, because we recorded last Friday, and uh, we normally record on Fridays for Sunday morning, Sunday morning airing, so uh, after recording uh, Friday evening and through the day on Saturday... I had noticed, uh, you know, the thing that Phil and I had a difference in opinion on, I started looking more into it uh, and started studying a little bit deeper. And by Sunday morning, I think I had come to the realization that um, we messed up in our interpretation. So before last week's show even aired, I texted Phil and I said, man, I I think we screwed up. I think we got something wrong. Anyway, the program went ahead and aired because by the time I texted him, we were 10-15 10-15 minutes from it even airing so uh, anyway what we did was we took all week and he and I both studied and looked at um, looked at the differences and looked at the text that we went over last week and so we got together this Friday and realized that um, that we did mess up last week and we did get a couple of things wrong and so feeling like we spent about two or three hours Together with each other before we even recorded on Friday, just stepping through the text. And we started out really on opposite sides of the room. And by the time it was done, before we actually recorded, we were in agreement. Well, we recorded. We recorded the program. After it was over with, both of us really were not settled in our spirit on the things that we were still in a kind of disagreement with. So, yesterday, um, we spend separately, but we talked a couple of times and texted through the day, but we both separately studied still some things we were in disagreement on, say all that to say that even though we have come to some agreement and understanding on the big majority of these things and the big majority of where we were wrong, it raised other questions And it raised other things that we're not necessarily still not in agreement on. And we might not be in agreement on. A couple of these things I'll say are not even heels to die on. They're not things that are going to keep you out of heaven. They're not things that are first-level doctrine. You know what I mean? They're They're just differences on what this word means and what that word means. But the reason that we're still having a difference of opinion is because it can change some interpretation. I mean the book of Hebrews and in the text that we're in, chapter five and into chapter six, is what a lot of denominations got started on because they have falsely interpreted what these verses are saying and who the verses are spoken to and spoken about and in the context. So they've been taken out of context. And so what I'm saying is the reason we're not going to air the program that we recorded on Friday this week is because because we're still not in at least some kind of hundred percent agreement on these doctrines, and I don't want to put put or air a program out that there are parts that we know that we intentionally don't agree about. And and what happened last week is the program aired, but we didn't really know until there was further digging later on that you know it came to light that we both realized, hey, I think we screwed some things up. So. Anyway, I hope you were able to follow all of that. I just wanted to be honest with you and give you that explanation and let you know why you're not going to be hearing a new episode today. Next week, we're giving it one more week and we're going to dive in and dig in both of us individually this week and study uh, even heavier. And we'll come next week, hopefully with a better understanding uh, and wisdom that uh, that we pray God gives us through this week as we dive back in uh, to Hebrews uh, chapter five. All right, so... Uh, before I get to the uh, to the sermon that I'd preached uh, a few weeks ago at Crossway that I want to share with you this morning, uh, I do want to give you some news. We do have a brand new this week, just released, brand new mobile app for Life Song Radio. It's been in development for a couple of months, and uh, we've been getting it worked on and tweaked to here and there, and, and, and now it's ready. It's been released, uh, and so you uh, have a couple of different ways that you can get it, and we hope you will. Uh, I pray that you will uh, uh, take it and download it on your on your phone or your tablet and keep us with you. It's, it gives you an, an ability to listen to us uh, in an easier way, and so if you don't catch the program and it's airing on the radio Sunday mornings, then you, you've got the mobile app in your hand. And then when it's uploaded, the podcast version of the program is uploaded, you will be able to listen to it at any point in time, just straight from your mobile device. Uh, and it's real simple. So uh, anyway, we've got all of the uh, all the Life song Radio archives Uh, of the of the uh, of the radio show that we've also have videos when we uh, we did our video studies here earlier this year something that we've kind of slowed down on but we have talked that we were going to get back doing those but all of that is uh, right there in the app so there's a there's a lot available to you there a couple of different ways you can download it to your phone Uh, you can go to your app store that uh, that you use to download apps on your phone see it's available on uh, iphones And iPods and iPads, uh, and it's also available on Androids and Android tablets uh, in the Google Play Store, uh, and it's also available in BlackBerry World on BlackBerry. So just go uh, to your app store where you download your apps and search Lifesong Radio, and you'll find it. You'll be able to download it free of charge. Also, on your device that you want to download the app on, you could also go to uh, LifesongRadio.com just in your browser, and it will pop up a, uh, a link Uh, that'll give you a link to download the app to your device, but you have to visit lifesongradio.com from the actual device that you want to download the app. It won't work on a computer. It won't pop up on a, on a, on a computer to give you that link. So, so anyway, just wanted to share that with you that we do have a brand new mobile app uh, and now we will uh, uh, just going to jump into this sermon that I preached a couple of weeks ago uh, at Crossway Baptist Church. We're in the Gospel of Luke. And this is where Jesus chooses his 12 disciples out of the masses of people that have been following him. And the title of the message is The Men and the Method of Our Master from Luke chapter 6. Good morning. There we go. How's everybody? All right. Right. All right. We get turned into Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six. We'll get back into our study and through Luke's gospel this morning as we consider the uh, the men and the method of our master. All right. And, but before we jump into the to the sermon, I want to I want to review. So we're in Luke. Who wrote the uh, Who wrote the Gospel of Luke? Luke? All right. All right. So who is Luke? There you go. All right. And uh, who's he? Who's he writing to? Theophilus. Theophilus. All right. Who else? Huh? Gentiles. That's right. Greeks. Yeah. All right. And so, uh, uh, what's his? What's his per? uh, Well, who is Theophilus? We don't know for sure. Right. That's right. What's his uh? What's his purpose for writing? Yeah, I mean y'all 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 hitting the nail on the head too. Uh, chapter one verse four says he's uh, writing so they may have uh, so that theophilus may know that the things that uh, he's been taught were reliable and true. And he also said that his intention was to give a well-ordained account of Jesus' ministry. All right, I know that bores some of you that I, that I do this every time I preach, but there's purpose for it. You'll know this stuff. For the rest of your life, every time you turn to the Gospel of Luke, you will know this background information, and it's absolutely, it should be imperative, you should feel that it's imperative for you to know this stuff when you study Scripture, all right? So, any questions? No? All right, well then let's uh, let's look again, uh, let's look at uh, the, the men and the method of our master, all right? So if you have your Bibles with you, let's stand. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, we'll start in verse 12, start in verse 12, and Luke wrote, and it was at that time, or at this time, that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God, and when day came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles, Simon, who he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Isca- Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he descended with them and stood on a level place, and there was a great multitude of his disciples, and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him, and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits, were being cured. And all the multitude were trying to touch him and pow- for power was coming from him and healing them all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Lord, just, just first of all, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. And thank you for your grace. Lord, I, I just, I, you know, I don't deserve to stand up here. I'm right, Lord, but I thank you for the opportunity. I thank you for your grace and mercy and the opportunity that you've given me to stand up here and preach and proclaim your word. Father, I just pray today that um, that you would uh, pour your Holy Spirit out upon this place and that those amongst us here today that don't know your son, Jesus, first and foremost, that their eyes would be open if it be in your will there, and that their ears would be Uh, that they they would be able to have the ears to hear the message of your gospel. And those amongst us today that that are saved children, Lord, I just pray through this message that spiritually they grow and they they become closer to you. Lord, we love you. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory. It's in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, so have you ever looked around, just, just right here at home, have you ever looked around you, and you notice all the people in need, all the people that are hurting, all the people that, that just, just are in need. I mean, if we limit our vision to just what we're able to physically touch and see, then, then we get overwhelmed by all the need, right? Now, just imagine what it looks like around the world. Um, look, imagine what it looks like in different countries. All over the world. I don't want to be the guy that goes out of the country for the first time and comes back and tells you you need to hate your life. But those of you in here that have been out of the country, that have been to Africa and Ecuador, uh, those of you who have been anywhere else, you know that when we talk about poor here in America, our poor isn't world poor, right? There's great need all over the world from all the way from our front porch to the ends of the earth. And we know God's really the final answer for all those needs. And and, and people need to know Jesus is Savior, right? And Jesus is Lord. But what's absolutely crazy about the whole thing is God had a a ton of ways that he could have gone about this and given his truth to the world. I mean, he could have used angels uh, who would have been probably more obedient and more productive than we've been. He could have spoken directly from heaven like he did when Jesus was baptized, he could open the sky and spoke directly to every person on this earth. He had more options than we can count. So I can't tell you why he chose to do it the way he did it, but what we know for sure, especially from our text today, is that Jesus' method for ministry was to prayerfully choose a few men to minister to the masses. And so the context of our text for Jesus choosing the twelve is that he uh, hostility... Uh, was was growing against him every day at this point in time. Uh, look at look at uh, verse twelve. It says, uh, and it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. Well, if you keep reading further back in the chapter, what Buffy preached to you last time, you'll see what he's talking about. And uh, when he says at this time, uh, the Pharisees had been watching and they'd been making accusations uh, about Jesus breaking the law uh, and his disciples breaking the law. They had uh, worked on the Sabbath uh, that last. Uh, That last uh, text that uh, Buffy had preached, he talked about uh, how they picked the heads off the grain and they rubbed it in their hands and and they were eating it. And also on another Sabbath, Jesus healed a man in the synagogue. And so the Pharisees, they were getting more and more hostile towards him every day or every time they were around him. And so they began to discuss what they were going to do to him. And it was then at this time that Jesus went off to be alone to pray to God and he spent all night with the Lord. Uh, and, and and he knew that uh, soon that he was going to be uh, choosing uh, his followers, uh, and so uh, and even back in chapter five he said that he knew he wouldn't be with them forever, and so even back then he said the day will come when the bridegroom uh, will be taken away. So because of this he went to be alone. He spent all night with God in prayer, and then the next morning he chose the twelve from the masses from the from the number of disciples that had been following him. And so then he came down to where a great throng of people, the text says, which just means that there was a whole lot of needy people around. They were surrounding him, and they were ready to hear him teach. Uh, but they also came to uh, to be healed and for demons to be cast out of them. And then uh, verses 17 to 19, uh, those are um, those are more of an introduction, uh, and I think Buffy will probably preach them again next week, uh, but those are more of an introduction to, to w- what he's going to get into uh, next week. Uh, but they also tie into the selection of the 12 is why I wanted to kind of touch on them. And so out of our text today, what I want us to see is four things that are extremely, extremely important for us to, to understand and to catch up with. Uh, the text that, 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 the text that I just read is choosing of the 12. It shows us the masses. It shows us the master. It shows us his method and the men that the master selected. All right so let's start by looking at the masses. That's your first point, the masses. If you'll jump down to verse 17, uh, Luke talks about a large crowd of his disciples, but also a, a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem. So the large crowd of disciples would be all those that had been following Jesus at this point in time. And then you got the great throng of people. These weren't disciples. These weren't uh, these are were, these weren't people that had been following him every day. These were folks who had who had likely just just left their normal routines. Uh, they they come to uh, uh, probably traveled uh, a long way on foot just to hear him or just to be healed. Uh, so that shows their neediness, their extreme needy, neediness. They were they were desperate people. Uh, and you see in verse nineteen, he says. Um, and all the people were trying to touch him for power was coming from him and healing them all. So they were just trying to touch him. They just wanted to feel the power to be healed. Uh, and so they had this need, this great need, uh, and that need caused them to travel these great distances just to get to him. So how does that apply to us? All right. Well, the, the first of all, there, there are number, large numbers of people or large throngs of people today who are still in desperate need of Jesus. Here's the problem. They're not looking for him. They're not looking for him. And if they are, it mirrors what we see in the text. See, they sought him for what he could do for them in the moment. So wherever you go in the world, wherever you go, if you go off to another country on a mission trip or whether you go to Walmart uh, or or to Kroger to buy groceries, you're going to encounter people in need. All of them. The entire human race is in need. Why? Because every person ever born has been born under the curse of sin and death. And, and God Himself instituted suffering and difficulty and death as the curse because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Not only are we born under that curse, but because we're de- because we're descendants of Adam, but we add to our problem because we multiply our own sin. Right? Like Job said. Uh, he said, uh, I believe it was Job said. Yeah, Job. It was, uh, he said, Man is born for trouble. As sparks fly upward. Now, what that means is, is suffering, the sickness, the sadness, the pain that all of us deal with in this life, right along with death, that that should cause each one of us to realize that our own, realize that our, we're separated from God and we need to be reconciled to Him. It should be enough for us to realize that, but it's not. In most cases, it's not. But, but, but even if we do realize it and, and we cry out to Jesus, we gotta be careful. We gotta be careful that we're fully aware of the intentions of our heart. All right. We've got to be really aware that a lot of these people that we see in this text, they were desperate for Jesus in this crowd. They were desperate for him. They traveled long distances, hundreds of miles on foot. But they only came to him for him to fix their problems. They had no desire to follow him, the Savior and Lord. He was gracious and generous to heal him, uh, to heal their sickness and deliver them from a uh, demonic possession, some of them. But the ones who didn't follow him, the ones that remained in their sin, well, the cure that he gave them was only temporary, right? It wasn't eternal, so they still had to die and face God's judgment. I read a story uh, uh, this week, uh, and it fits this scenario to a T. Uh, there was this couple. This pastor was telling the story about a couple that had visited his church. Where he served, and after a couple of weeks, uh, the, this new couple they walked forward, they joined the church, and uh, uh, they started going through a new believers class. And for several weeks, and during this class is when the pastor learned that uh, the the wife had extreme, excruciating back pain every day. And so, um, about a month after they they go through this several week class, and about a month or so after the class was over with, he noticed that they stopped coming; they weren't showing up anymore. And so he reached out to the husband. And uh, and the husband told him. He said, "Well, we've been going to this center for spiritual life. Center for spiritual life. That's a like a uh, uh, what are they called? Uh, like a science religion thing. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like one of those religious science cults. Uh, they were going uh, there because here's why they were going. The, wife, the husband said the wife found relief for her back pain." She got relief for her pain there. And so the, the, the pastor said he began to probe the husband and kind of explain to him the dangers of, uh, of this cult because they denied Jesus. And here's what the husband said. His response was, well, my wife has pain, and we're going to go any place she can get relief. So they dropped out of the church. So the truth is, when they walked forward and had this profession of faith, it wasn't real. It wasn't real. 1 John 2 John said, if they, are, if they go out from us, they never were of us. So really, it, it, even the truth is, if Jesus had even been the one to give them the relief, give the lady the back relief, the outcome was going to be the same because they approached faith for what they could get out of it. That's how they approached faith. Not as broken people who realize what he's already done for them. So what's the, what's, what's, what's the punchline there? It, it, let's not approach Jesus to fix our problems. Let's not approach Him and not trust in Him as Lord. Let's not come to Him and say, all right, well, well, you're good enough to be my Savior and save me, but you're not good enough for me to follow as the Lord of my life, every day of my life. And we should never present Jesus to people that way, as one who can fix their temporary problems. We need Jesus absolutely, but we don't need a genie in a bottle, right? We need Him to be the Lord of our life. That's right. Amen. Amen. See, we've got bigger problems than back pain. We got bigger problems than broken marriages. Bigger problems than losing our jobs. We got bigger problems than cancer, bigger or any other sickness. What we need to do, what people need to do, is come face to face with who they are and the sight of God, and that's lost sinners. Amen? Amen. So that's the masses, and that's how Jesus approached them. Our next point. Our next point is number two. Is the, uh, is, uh, is the master, the master, so where the mass is, now this is the master, all right, so we clearly see the focus of the entire passage is what, the focus of this entire passage that we read, we're studying, 12 through 19, Luke 6, the focus is what, Jesus, right, yeah, focus is Jesus, we see him in private, praying to the Father, we see him with his followers, when he chooses the 12, and then we see him in public when he ministers to the masses. So let's jump in, look a little closer. Write this point down. This will go under your heading of master. This would be, uh, you would write it down as A. It would be the master in private. The master in private. Verse 12, it says, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. So because of all this hostility, uh, all this hostility that's that's growing and building against him every day, uh, and because he knew that his method, uh, what his method was going to be, that he was going to have to select the twelve soon. What he does here is, is 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 what we've seen him do several times throughout the Gospel of Luke already. He goes to get alone. He goes off alone. He withdraws from the people and goes to be alone. And he spent the whole night in prayer to the Father. Now, with the exception, and this is just. <coughs> My assumption um, because there's no other there, really there's no place in the New Testament that we see Jesus go off or anybody go and pray and be in prayer all night we don't see that anywhere in scripture I would assume that when he spent the forty days forty nights in the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan I would assume that he spent all night in prayer but scripture doesn't tell us for sure that uh, but that's just my assumption so anyway, the perfect man Jesus displays to us that we should live in total dependence on the Father, right? So if Jesus, who's the perfect man, lives in complete submission and complete dependence, how much more do we need to? People that aren't perfect, imperfect people, right? Look at the examples we have in Luke's gospel. Look at the examples that we have, just how much that he went to the Father in prayer. When he was baptized, he was praying, right? Right? When the multitudes were chasing him to be healed uh, and looking for miracles, he slipped away and prayed. In chapter 9, before Peter's confession, he had been praying. Chapter eleven, the disciples asked him how to teach to teach them how to pray after they were as they witnessed him praying. So if Jesus is so aware of his need to be in communion with the Father, how much more should we be? Right? don't miss the common theme in all these examples all right there's a common theme he would get alone to pray he would be alone and i'm just going to be honest and this ain't me being legalistic when i say this i'm just it's just truth if we don't take the time to get alone with god then then we're not going to be people of prayer it's just not going to happen we can we can we should pray in public settings and 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 around people we absolutely should But we really can't pray as we should if we don't get along with God. Right? We see the master in private. That was the master in private. Now let's look at the master with his own. The master with his own. That would be B. The master with his own. Verse 13. And when they came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. So... Obviously, one of the main things that he was praying for all night was the guidance of God as he chose the 12 apostles, right? I mean, listen to me. This this wasn't a menial task when he chose the 12. This wasn't just some everyday thing that he was fixing to be doing. Matter of fact, this right here, you got to understand that what Jesus did right here was the absolute most important decision made in the history of the world. These were the men that were going to continue his work after he was gone. So this was the most important decision he likely made. These men were, were the ones that he, he, he was about to spend the majority of his time and energy on. He would begin teaching and training them for their mission, which was for them to in turn teach and train others. As a matter of fact, Bible scholars have estimated that, uh, that he spent 85% of his three and a half years in ministry with these 12 men. of his time was spent with the 12. So what was important to him? He knew something we don't, obviously. Something we can pick up and see from his life, but we sit back and kind of glare over it. He selected the 12 from the masses, right? He he was about to begin building and training these men for their mission, right? Right? So he understood that this mission was too big to be missed. It was too big to be missed. He's showing us that in order to understand these things, there's got to be intentional concentration. Intentional concentration. You can't do that in large numbers. You can't do it. You can't do what he did with these 12 men in large gatherings. He, wa- he wasn't going to get them from where they were to where he needed them to be by preaching at them. It was too general and too widespread and not concentrated enough, Right? And li- really, life doesn't get great until it's been intentionally concentrated. I think it's up there, uh, yeah, the, the quote up there, talent without discipline is like an octopus on roller skates. There's plenty of movement, but you never know if it's going backwards, forwards, sideways. It has to be concentrated. Concentrated. That involves person-to-person relationships, right? And that's his purpose for choosing 12 men to spend his life with, to concentrate his teaching and his ministry In these men to then send them out to do what he just did with them. And something else, let me say uh, briefly about the 12, is that even though he knew all things and he prayed all night before he chose the 12, he still chose Judas, right? This is where we see this mystery that connects this divine sovereignty to human responsibility. We know God determined before the foundation of the world that Judas would be the son of perdition, right? He would betray Jesus, and yet Judas himself was still responsible for his actions. We can't say Judas made or Jesus made a mistake when he chose Judas. He said himself in John 6, he said, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? Or in John 17, when he was alone, again, get that, he's alone praying to the Father, John 17. He said, when I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you had given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that scripture would be fulfilled. So what I want you to see from that is that when we pray, when we pray for God's guidance in our life, we seek his wisdom. Sometimes the outcome's not going to be what we want, right? Sometimes it can be. Uh, we consider it to be less, we can consider our situation to be less than ideal. And that's just the unexplainable sovereign plan of God. I mean, we, we still have to seek His guidance. We still have to trust Him, even when the outcome's not what we wanted it to be. Remember when Jesus was in the garden, just before His arrest, He was praying alone again, right? Alone with God, praying. He said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet yeah, not my will, but yours be done. So, in other words, we come to God and say, God, take away this pain. God, I don't want to lose this job. Lord, Lord, heal me of this cancer. Heal me of this, of this disease that I have. That's my desire. So listen, Lord, heal me of this. This is my desire, but don't let my will stand. Let your will be done. Right? That makes sense? Yep. <clears throat> so that's the masses and the master. Now let's look at his method. Alright? His method. Point three. So what was the method? What was the method? Well, the method is the master multiplying himself through a few to minister to the masses. Right? And we're going to talk about those men that Jesus chose in just a few minutes uh, as we wrap up uh, this morning. But, but right now, I want us to look at this method. Jesus trusted his entire kingdom to these men. The entire kingdom. So his method was to train them to train others. It's the principle of multiplication. All right? And that's his work through others. Just like Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, Timothy, these things which you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, trust these to faithful men who will teach to others also. Right? So right now, how many people are in the world? Anybody know? Just a guess. Seven, billion. seven and a half billion. Roughly. <coughs> roughly seven and a half billion people in the world. You know, over 2 billion of those people have never heard the name of Jesus. 7,000 people groups in the world have never heard the name Jesus, completely, totally unreached. (coughs) When we think about the gravity of that, we think about how big that really is, it's intimidating to to think about those many people and those many people groups (coughs) needing to be reached with the gospel. It's an intimidating thing to think about. First thing we want to do is run the opposite direction. This is a massive task, right? And we we realize how big it is. And that's why we want to run the the, the opposite direction. But that's not how Jesus modeled it. He didn't say take on the whole world. He didn't say reach the masses. He said he concentrated on the few, and the few reached the masses. So he saw the masses in the man, right? It's the principle of multiplication, right? Talk about this in Sunday school a little bit. Addition will never keep up with multiplication. And so let me explain it a little bit. Let's say, think about this a second. Let's say you you're, you're, you need a part time job. Alright? You get approached by two different people who's offering you two different jobs. Alright? So the one person says, I got it. Both, both of them are 35 days long. Alright? Both jobs are going to last 35 days. So the one person says, I'll pay you $1,000 a day for 35 days. Alright? The other person says, Alright, I'm gonna hire you. Day one, I'm gonna pay you a penny. And then I'm gonna double that every day. Day two, I'll pay you two pennies. Day three, four. Day, uh, yeah, day three, how? Two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64. Okay. Alright, so, so, we're gonna do that all the way up 35 days. Which job would you take? Hmm? Well, yeah, y'all being getting smart, Alex. Uh, but <laughs> y'all know where I'm going with this. But our brain logically is wired to think and, and, and gravitate to what we can add, automatically add. $35,000 would come out of job one. $1,000 a day for 35 days. Do you know how much would come out of job two? Millions. Hmm? Millions. Yeah. Starting with a penny and then multiplying, doubling every day. By the time you got to day 35, million. Addition will never keep up with multiplication. It may start slower, but it will never long-term keep up with multiplication. not going to happen. That's what Jesus was doing here when he chose the 12. He poured his time and energy and life into these 12 men, and he taught them how to do the same thing. That's what he did. And look, I realize the process is not perfect with people, but if every believer, listen, if every believer would lead, not just lead one person a year to Christ, but to train that person and disciple them right. how to do the same thing, yes. it would take, you know how long it would take to reach the world? If one, if one, every believer every year would lead one person to Christ and teach them how to lead one person and one person and one person, 33 and a half years That's we could right. reach the entire world. Yeah. We can reach the entire world. Actually, we would reach 8.5 billion people. There's only 7.5 in the world right now, but you could reach 8.5 billion people in 33.5 years. Listen to me. If we don't have the mindset on making disciples, if we don't have that mindset, we're interrupting the process the Lord set in motion in this text. That's what he set in motion when he chose the 12. To disagree with it is to disagree with the word of God. That's right. So we see the masses, we see the master, we just scratch the surface on the method. But now let's look at the men. All right, let's point forward, the men. Verse 14, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So the men, These were these were common men. They all had different personalities, came from different backgrounds. Really, it's it's amazing when you get to studying and looking uh, and trying to find out as much as you can about these twelve men. It's really amazing how common they really are, or how really they really were. I guarantee you, if any of us were in Jesus' position, we had to choose twelve men at that time, we wouldn't have chosen these twelve men. We wouldn't have done it. None of them were really educated. None of them were part of the Sanhedrin who were considered the influential people of that day. None of them were really successful businessmen, unless you count Matthew, the tax collector. At least four of them were fishermen, and we don't really know much about the rest of them. So the question is, how did Jesus produce a mindset in 12 men that resulted in massive world impact to the farthest reaches of the known world at that time within 60 years after his death? How did he do it? How did Jesus produce a mindset in 12 men? 12 men that resulted in massive world impact. And he did it within 60 years after his death. Look, they didn't remember, they didn't have televisions and telephones. All they had was teleperson. So how did he do it? How did he do it with these 12 men? He didn't do it with this crowd that he started with. He did it with the 12 that he chose out of the crowd. You guys have a, a, most of you have a bulletin. You get a bulletin. There's an insert in the bulletin. Uh, These are the four places where the apostles are listed in scripture. So I want to take a few minutes to examine this and let us look at this. These are men that he called apostles, right? Or sent out ones. That's what the word apostle means, sent out ones. But understand, before he sent them away, what did he do? He trained them. He trained them. So they were trained and built to be sent out, not to gather and grow in one place. So Jesus' strategy is plainly different from how we're doing church today. It is. See, we tend to gauge success on size. How many butts are in the seats? How many butts are in the seats or how big our building is, how big our budget is? That's how we gauge success, but that's not what Jesus did. That wasn't his strategy. So these four lists that you have uh, that we found, them, we find it in Matthew 10, Mark 3, our text here in Luke 6, and also in Acts 1. Alright? And so, we see without a shadow of that, we can, we can, we can all agree on the one fact that Jesus' strategy was totally centered on this small group of 12 men, right? We can all agree on that. We also know that, listen, he put all his eggs in one basket. He put all of his eggs in one basket. This wasn't his plan A. You understand that this was not Jesus' plan A. Why was it in his plan A? Because he didn't have a plan B. This was his total plan for world impact. And he placed it in the hands of 12 men. And so these lists of apostles that you have in front of you, this list also gives us his and, and kind of suggests his method for building the men. You're not going to get it from the initial glance. But what he did is he apparently divided these 12 men into three equal groups three equal groups of four and uh, he assigned a leader for each group so what's the evidence of that well it's pretty overwhelming for us to say it's a coincidence so let's look at it all the men in the first group and only these men as far as we know were followers of John the Baptist who came to follow Jesus on the encouragement of John the Baptist all these were dynamic and impulsive men just like Peter who, who Jesus gave as their leader James and John, they were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, right? You remember they wanted to call the uh, fire of hell down on, or the, early, or fire from heaven, down on the heads of the people that uh, rejected Jesus. Andrew, you would call him quiet, but really he's more dynamic than, than we really give him credit for. He's not mentioned very often in Scripture, but every time we see him outside of these lists, what's he doing? Bringing somebody to Jesus. How's that for a legacy to be left with? Every time that you're talked about, you're bringing somebody to Jesus. Yeah, As a matter of fact, he brought his brother to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus, and then he was content to take a backseat to Peter's leadership. These were truly dynamic men. The second group, led by the Apostle Philip, and this group of people were philosophical men. Every person in in, in this group is highly philosophical, like Thomas, doubting Thomas, and Matthew. Matthew wrote the gospel. Uh, based on the philosophical teachings of Jesus. And then, if you notice, Jesus didn't make any of these men the primary leader. He didn't make any of these men the primary leader. He would have never gotten anything done if he had. You know what philosophical people are. They ask questions. They doubt. they, uh, uh, They procrastinate or they protest. They're investigators. But what they also are, are great contributors to their mission. But out front leadership wasn't given to them. All right, the third group, this third group made up of completely total total political revolutionaries. James, the leader James, the son of Alphaeus, was probably the mildest one in the group. There's strong evidence that, uh, that, and this is crazy here, but there's strong evidence that James and Matthew, both called sons of Alphaeus, were brothers. That's completely crazy to me because one, Matthew, was a despised tax collector, and James was a passionate Jewish patriot. So it begs the question, did, 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 did they ever act out against each other as brothers? We don't know. Scripture's silent on it, but it really makes you wonder. Then you've got Simon the Zealot. He was probably the most extreme at all. He was patriotic. He was rebellious. He was violent. As a matter of fact, if Simon the Zealot had met Matthew under any other circumstances, he would have killed him as quick as possible. And so Jesus, really, his greatest miracle wasn't feeding the 5,000 or wasn't raising Lazarus from the dead or raising anyone else from the dead or healing the sickness of people really his greatest miracle was was taken was the construction out of impossible material he took 12 men who would who sent shock waves of spiritual reproduction to the ends of the earth listen if the church would not have replaced the strategy in G- of Jesus in building individuals and substituted with building institutions those same shock waves would still be impacting the ends of the earth today There's one last lesson that I want you to see. And we can see it from this list of apostles. That's that you don't have to be flashy or famous or influential in the worldly sense to be used by God. We all know about Peter, James, and John. But how much did we really know about James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James, We don't know very much about them. But yet these men were part of the 12. And these are men that will sit on the 12 thrones judging the tribes of Israel. So they they, they weren't outwardly well-known or as influential as Peter was, but they were faithful men who served according to their gifts. And that's what God requires. He requires of you and me. So the master's method to reach the masses was to multiply himself in men. That's it. That's it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And God, I just pray that that, that we understand and we get what you showed us through your life. Lord, I pray that we can understand that, that what you came on earth to do was just not to die for sinners. You came to do that, absolutely, but you left us with something. You left us with your method to reach the entire world that was going to come after your death. And so, Lord, I pray that we can understand that, that we're not smart people. Lord, we're, we, we, we can't come up with our own methods and our own strategies. We can come up with them, but Lord, they fall short of what your strategy was. And so, Lord, I just pray that we understand that what you left us in Scripture is not optional. We can't just say, oh, oh well, I like this part and I like that part, but uh, uh, I don't really like this over here because it goes against what I, what, what I really like. Lord, we can't do that. If we're going to believe one part of it, we believe it all, or we believe none of it. So, Father, I just pray that we understand and we get what you've trying what you, what you showed us through your Word today. Lord, I pray that there be any amongst us today who, who, who are not uh children of god i pray that uh, the holy spirit would uh, regenerate their hearts to life today that that through the preaching of your gospel that they would hear uh, who they are and they would see who they are apart uh from from you lord and so i just pray that if there's any amongst us today who you intend to save i, I pray that that happened today lord We love you. We give you all the honor, praise, and glory. It's in the holy and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So listen, um, you're going to walk out those doors today when you leave here. And you're going to get met by the world. That's reality, right? When you get met by the world, there's a reality, there's a certainty, and there's an expectation that we're all going to face as we live our lives every day. The reality is in knowing that, that we're weak and we're lowly. We really are. We're weak and we're lowly people with no hope outside of Christ. God created us to bring himself glory. But because we sinned against him, we're his enemy. We've been cursed. We've been born into sin. And as a result, we're sinners by nature and by and we're sinners by choice. That's our condition. And and that's the reality of it. The certainty is in believing that God made a way for his people. He took a sinner and a teenage virgin and he used her to bring his sovereign plan into fullness of time. He sent his son to be born of that virgin. And Jesus grew up under the care of Mary and Joseph. He lived a life that none of us in this room are able to live. Completely, totally sinless. Completely, totally perfect. And because his life was perfect, his sacrifice was then sufficient. He took the weight of my sin on himself. He suffered the wrath of God for it. He was buried, but then three days later he was raised from the dead to eventually sit at the right hand of the Father who sent him. That's the certainty All right. now the expectation is that believing in God will do nothing less than what he promised to do through Jesus that means that that God's promise to us is when we repent of our sin and believe on Jesus when we cry out to him he's faithful to cleanse us faithful to rebirth us he's faithful to give us a new nature to give us eternal life to give us purpose and that purpose is to glorify him above all things and so if you're here this morning and you know right now that there's never been a time in your life that you've been born again, then, then be sensitive to the gospel. Be sensitive to what's happening. If the Spirit of God is drawing you to himself, then, then I'd say don't reject him. In the Suit doesn't fit across the shoulders. Will it fade when it gets older? We throw ideas that aren't in style in the Salvation Army pile and search for something more to meet our needs. Don't despair We are persecuted but not abandoned